0: We're continuing the study on behavior in the house of God, and in this session, we're focusing on how worship involves our praise. Would you bow your hearts together with me in prayer? Father, our hearts rejoice in what we have already experienced with you and one another during this time of worship and fellowship together. And realizing the importance of this very important subject that we are looking at in this presentation, I am offering myself as a vessel, refreshing you into your hands at this very moment. Please cleanse me with the washing of the blood of your dear Son. Please anoint me with the power of your sweet Holy Spirit, so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, so that your purpose... Your design purpose might be accomplished for each of us as individuals, as families, and as a church collective. Because as I pray, pray, and praises for victories, I give in Christ's name, amen. We return to our scripture foundation in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. These things write I unto thee, Hoping to come into thee shortly, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest underscore, know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. One of the ways that we manifest proper behavior in the house of God, is in regard to praise. We can actually rob God, and we can misbehave relative to praise in two ways. First of all, through abstinence. Now, what do I mean by that? Just simply refusing to practice praise or not Being involved in the manifestation of praise during times of of worship assembly. And then, secondly, we can rob God and misbehave relative to praise through abuse. Just as was the case with the church at Corinth, it is possible for a Christian congregation today to rob God of genuine praise in his house through abuse or through fanaticism. My brothers and sisters, it is unwise to be found in either one of these two extremes, either in the abstinence factor or the abuse factor, because I'm convicted in my intellect and I'm convinced in my emotions that God desires for us to be a praising people in relation to His house. I'm going to look at this subject a little differently than what you may have been expecting. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, there is a fourfold reason given for praise, and it would certainly do us good to apply this concept to adapt it to the house of God. I read 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, but ye are, number one, a chosen generation number two, a royal priesthood, number three, an holy nation, number four, a peculiar people. And as if someone then or now were about to ask, well, why should these four elements of our calling be constant consideration during times of assembly and worship together? Listen to this response so that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Four questions. Why are we a chosen generation? We are a chosen generation to manifest the praises of God. Why are we a royal priesthood? We are a royal priesthood to manifest the praises of God. Why are we a holy nation? We are a holy nation to manifest the praises of God. Why are we a peculiar people? We are a peculiar people to manifest the praises of God. Now, I want to take the magnifying glass of God's Word as we take a close look at these four elements of our calling. First of all, Peter said to that generation, and God's Spirit is saying to ours, we are a chosen generation. Sometimes our image of that word chosen is not always what the Scripture depicts. When I was a young boy and a teenager, I was very involved in sports. And very often we divided, we chose sides for various games we would be playing. If I was not a captain of a team, I was usually chosen first or close to first because I was very athletic. But some of my friends were not chosen right away. They were not chosen right away because they were a little slower Maybe they couldn't catch the ball as well. Maybe they couldn't shoot the basketball with accuracy. We chose, and we were chosen on the basis of performance, or at least our perception of performance. My friends, this, praise God, is not the determining factor for God choosing God has not chosen on the basis of performance. God is not chosen on the basis of how good we are. God is not chosen on the basis of how intellectual we are. God is not chosen on the basis of how wealthy we are. God is not chosen on the basis of how talented we are. These never were. They are not now and they never will be the determining factor in God choosing. Whenever we read the Old Testament, it's very apparent that the Jews were chosen by God to represent Him on this earth, but there came a time because of unbelief that they forfeited that favored position. The Apostle Peter, as well as all of the other apostles, declares that now God has chosen, God has assigned the privilege and the responsibility of representing Him to the body of Christ, the Christian church. And the Christian church is composed of believers in Jesus Christ, individuals, who have accepted Him as Savior and Lord of their life and living. In the epistles written by Paul, he made it very clear, and I want you to follow me closely. He made it very clear that our choice of God's plan is the determining factor whether or not we are part of the chosen generation. Did you get that? Our choosing by God is based on our choice to accept his plan. Now, Jesus left no room for doubt in this regard. He told a story on one occasion about a king whose son was getting married. And so, he sent out invitations for guests to attend the wedding of his son. Servants were sent To extend the invitation, they were mistreated. And so, as a reaction of the servants being mistreated, the king sent an army to destroy the murderers and to burn their city. He then sent other servants to invite whoever they found, good and bad, to be guests at the marriage. Now let's pick up the story. In Matthew 22, beginning in verse 11, Jesus said, And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to his servants, Bind him hand and foot. And take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Underscore, for many are called, but few are chosen. Question What was the condition of the guest being chosen? What was her condition? The condition was they not only responded to the invitation, but they also wore a wedding garment. And having on this wedding garment was an outward sign of having accepted the marriage of the king's son. Now, follow me closely. All of them had been called But only those who had owned the wedding garment were chosen. And they were chosen why? They were chosen because of their choice to follow the plan of the king for honoring his son's marriage. My brothers and sisters, because you and I have accepted the invitation of God and we are allowing ourselves to wear the spiritual wedding garment of Jesus Christ, as unworthy as we are, the Bible says we are now a call, we are a chosen generation. And this is the attitude with which we must come to church, realizing that God has not only called us, but God has chosen us. Question, can you imagine the difference it would make in our church assemblies if we attended church with our minds and our hearts convicted and convinced that we are the chosen of God? Chosen not because of who we are, but chosen because of whose we are. I would encourage you next Sabbath morning before you walk out the door to head to this church, look at yourself in the mirror and say these words. Self, I am part of a chosen generation. You see, we can indeed show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light As we understand, that is one of the reasons why we have been chosen to be a part of God's elect generation. Next, Peter says to that generation and to ours that we are a royal priesthood. Now, as far as I know, I do not have any physical royalty in my family. But because I am a part of God's chosen generation, in God's estimation, I am now a part of a royal priesthood. And the same thing is true of you if you have become a part of God's chosen generation. So the question we need to ask and allow the Bible to answer is this, upon what? Is this royalty based on our lineage, on our DNA? No. It's based on the royalty of Jesus Christ and our relationship with Him. John affirms this with great clarity in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6. And speaking of Jesus and hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And as royal priest of God, Christians are to offer to God the spiritual sacrifices mentioned in First Peter chapter two and verse five. Listen intently. He also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood. Why? (laughs) To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now, I don't have time to deal with a lot of these spiritual sacrifices, but I do want to bring our attention to one. Look at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15. One of the spiritual sacrifices that you and I are to be offering up by Him, speaking of Christ, by Him, therefore, let us offer underscore what? The sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. Now, in this verse, there are four concepts, four concepts of truth that we as a royal priesthood must practice and promote. If your ministry and my ministry as a royal priest is to truthfully represent our great high priest, look at these four. Number one. The sacrifice of praise is to be offered by Jesus. The sacrifice of praise is not to be manufactured in an emotional display called forth by someone else. If Jesus prompts our praises, they will always be in accord with his way of offering them. Secondly... The sacrifice of praise is to be offered to God as we give Him thanks. So, what's that saying? That saying that no human being, no animate or inanimate object is worthy of our praises, only God is worthy of your praises and my praises. Number three. The sacrifice of praise is to be offered continually. Now, will you agree with me that church assembly is part of continually? My friends, whenever we assemble in the house of the Lord, everything we say, everything we do should be for one purpose. And that purpose is to offer the sacrifice of praise to God by his son Jesus Christ. Number four, the sacrifice of praise is to be the fruit of our lips. Now, I'm gonna stop preaching here a moment and do a little meddling. But I always get in trouble when I meddle, but I just can't help it. It's part of my personality. So, what should this be saying to you, and what should it be saying to me? It should be saying this. It is all right. It is proper as part of the royal priesthood to praise God out loud with our lips. (laughs) Sure, there should be the silent praising of God, but God says it is biblical, it is ethical. For us to praise him out loud with the fruit of our lips as long as it's done decently and in order. This is a kind of praise God desires. Now, is it really important to God? Look at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 6. Before I, ask, before I read the verse, let me ask you a question. How many of you want to praise God? And how many of you want your praises to please God. Do you? What pleases God? Look at it. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. Underscore, for with such practices, talking about the sacrifice of praise, for with such sacrifices, God is what? God is not just pleased, God is well pleased. Anybody here besides me want to make God well pleased? We do, don't we? Can you imagine the difference it would make in the times of our church assembly if we attended with minds and hearts convicted and convinced that you and I as a royal priesthood are to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to Jesus and by Jesus Christ? Next Sabbath morning. Before you head out the door, look at yourself in the mirror and say, self, I am part of a royal priesthood. Next, Peter said we're a holy nation. As a chosen generation, as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation, you and I have been called, we have been chosen by God to function as citizens that will be representative of his kingdom. What constitutes a nation? Two things. First of all, a free people. A people in bondage cannot be a nation. In order for for, to be a nation, its citizens must be free. And because Jesus has broken the shackles and bondage of sin... You and I can praise him with lips and with lives. We can sing and we can shout the declaration that Christ made in John 8 and verse 36. If the Son, therefore, hath made you free, you shall be free indeed. What constitutes a nation? Not only a free people, but a constitution or covenant that is signed by establishers. In 1776, there was a small group of men who assemble with a purpose. And that purpose was to begin a nation, to establish a new nation. And so a constitution was drafted. It was signed, and it was adopted. And from that constitution the United States of America emerged as a free people from what they perceived as tyranny of European influence. My brothers and sisters, we have a constitution as Christians. And this constitution was signed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we can shout with lips and with lives, Hebrews 12 and verse 24 Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. You and I, as a holy nation, are a free people, a free people who have a constitution that has precepts that are not written on paper and parchments that can be torn and discarded, but rather have been written on the tables of our minds and on our hearts. Can you imagine the difference it would make during times of church assembly if we attended church with our minds and our hearts convicted and convinced that we are a holy nation, (laughs) a holy nation to offer the sacrifice of praise that is acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Next Sabbath morning, before you head out the door, look at yourself in the mirror and say, Self, I am part of a holy nation. Finally, Peter said that we are a peculiar people. Now, the idea that Peter was characterizing Christians as being strange or eccentric is not justified. In fact, that word used in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 for peculiar literally means purchased, belonging to. Now, follow me closely. Jesus considers the Christian church to be, in a special sense, his because he has bought the church. We, as Christians, no longer belong to ourselves, we belong to Jesus. Acts 20 and verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. And why is the church of God so special to God? Look at it, which Jesus has purchased with his own blood. We are peculiar because Jesus has purchased us. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20, for you are bought with a price. What is that price? Every drop of the precious blood of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are whose? Which are God's. My brothers and sisters, one of the greatest lessons we can learn in the end-time scenario is the lesson of ownership. I don't own myself. Once I become a member of God's family, and neither do you. We belong to Jesus. As my little granny used to say, lock, stock, and barrel. You see, God has called us to be different. Can you imagine the difference? It would make during times of church assembly if we attended with our minds and our hearts convicted and convinced that we are a peculiar purchased people. A peculiar purchased people to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Before you walk out the door next Sabbath morning, look in the mirror and say to yourself, Self, I am part of a peculiar people. You see, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 leaves no room to doubt that we are now a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people for a purpose. Now, listen to me closely. What is the purpose? To show forth. That means to proclaim. What's the purpose? To proclaim the praises of God. What's the purpose? To proclaim the praises of God as a testimony that He has called us out of darkness. What's the purpose? To proclaim the praises of God is a testimony that He has not only called us out of darkness, but He has called us into His marvelous light. And the same thrill that flooded the mind and heart of Simon Peter as he wrote the next verse should resound in your praises and in my praises. Listen, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 10. Which in time past, we were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I don't know about you, but to me, that's exciting. To me, that's so exciting. If I were a Pentecostal church, I'd say hallelujah about now. I think I will anyway. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I was not a people, but by the mercy of God, I am now a part of God's chosen generation. And I could have lived all my life and all of my living and never experienced this wonderful thrill. And because you and I have been bought with a price, because we have been brought into God's marvelous, God's wonderful God's astonishing light, we can know the exuberance a psalmist must have sensed as he penned the following words in Psalm 27 and verse six. Therefore, will I offer in His tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Now, did you notice where the psalmist said he would offer sacrifices of joy? Did you notice where the psalmist said he would sing praises unto the Lord? Where? In God's house. In the tabernacle. In conclusion, what is God's will concerning our attitude And our action in His house in relation to praise? I can think of no better description than Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 17. Wherefore, be you not unwise? Now, let me pause there and ask a question. Don't raise your hands. Don't grunt. Don't groan. But is there anyone here that wants to be unwise? Anybody here want to be stupid? None of us do, do we? He continued, Wherefore be you not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, let us individually and collectively as a chosen generation, as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation, as a peculiar people resolve with renewed determination that we will not be guilty of robbing God in regard to praise, either by abstinence or by abuse. I love what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 33 and verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous." And as if someone were about to ask, Well, David, why should we rejoice in the Lord? He resounds for time and eternity, for praise is comely or fitting for the upright. Are you a part of the upright? Aren't you glad for that? As part of the righteous upright, through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, praise is fitting. For us. Before I read from one of my favorite writers and what she was impressed upon regarding praise and our assembling in the house of the Lord, I want to ask you three questions. And please don't raise your hands, don't respond out loud. Question number one In your mind and in your heart, do you believe that this one of my favorite writers? that I'm about to quote, was impressed by God, sweet Holy Spirit to communicate necessary guidance for we who are members of the body of Christ and are waiting His soon return in the clouds of glory. Do you believe that? In, question number two, in your mind and in your heart, what is the evidence that we understand the Word of God spoken in a public assembly during a time of worship for the purpose of worshiping God. What's the evidence? And question number three, in your mind and in your heart, am I smiling, is this local church, University Parkway Seventy Adventist Christian Church is this local church walking in the light. Now it's one thing to have the light and know the light, but it's another thing to walk in the light. On the basis of those three questions, I want to read from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5. There's an entire chapter titled Praise Ye the Lord. I would encourage you to read it often. Quote, praise the Lord in the congregation of his people. May I read that again? Praise the Lord in the congregation of his people. May I read it one more time? Praise the Lord in the congregation of his people. When the word of the Lord was spoken to the Hebrews anciently, and I'm going to read slowly, the command was, and let all the people say amen, Psalm 106, verse 48. Now, let me pause and ask a question. How many were to say amen? One more time. One more time. Okay, you're with me. When the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the city of David and a psalm of joy and triumph was chanted, all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord, First Chronicles 16, verse 36. Remember question number two I asked a few moments ago? What is the evidence that we understand what's going on? during a time of assembly, look at this. This fervent response. Now, what does fervent mean? (laughs) A little excitement about it? Not blase, definitely. What is a fervent response? Saying amen and praising the Lord. She says this fervent response was an evidence, still smiling, That they understood the word spoken and joined in the worship of God. Do you believe her? Abstinence or abuse? Those are the two extremes. We need a balance. May I read it one more time? This fervent response was an evidence that they understood the word spoken and joined in the worship of God. Next paragraph. There is too much formality in our religious services. Amen? Or ouch? Do you believe her? Do you really? The Lord would have his ministers who preach the word energized by his Holy Spirit. So, if you're going to get upset with me for my energy, you better get upset with her first. Because I'm basing my energy on what she said. The Lord would have his ministers who preach the word energized by his Holy Spirit. And the people who hear should not sit in drowsy indifference. whoa, do you believe her? Or stare vacantly about making no responses to what is said? <laughs> now, if you're going to get upset, don't even get upset with me. Get upset with her. The impression, when we sit in drowsy indifference and stare vacantly about, making no response as to what is said, the impression that is thus given to the unbeliever is anything but favorable for the religion of Christ. These dull, careless, professed Christians are not destitute of ambition and zeal when engaged in worldly business. But things of eternal importance do not move them deeply. The voice of God to His messengers may be a pleasant song, but its sacred warnings, reproofs, and encouragements are are all unheeded. The spirit of the world has paralyzed them. The truths of God's Word are spoken to leaden ears and hard, unimpressionable hearts. There should be wide awake, active churches to encourage and uphold the ministers of Christ and to aid them in the work of saving souls. Now, do you remember the third question I asked a few minutes ago? Is this church... University Parkway 70 Adventist Christian Church is this church walking in the light underscore where the church is walking in the light there will ever be cheerful hearty responses and words of joyful praise I think I say hallelujah again Hallelujah. My brothers and sisters, behavior in the house of God involves our praises. And of all the Christian churches on the face of this earth, Seventy Adventists ought to be setting the tone. Not because of who we are, but because of whose we are. Before I pray, Do you still love me? Father God, thank you for men and women and young people down through the ages who have lifted their voices in praise to you. Lord, we sing the song, praise him, praise him, but we want it to be more than a song. We want it to be continually a lifestyle both within and without these four walls. Help us, dear Father, to determine that we are going to be a praising people so that when we get to the other side, we will not feel out of place, but we will join the ranks who have come from every corner and every generation to look upon your face and to give you praises for being there. In Jesus' name, amen.